the sisters of Lazarus sent word to Jesus. When Jesus got the message, he said, This sickness is not fatal. It will become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying God's Son. Well, that's a relief. (laughs) Not sure what this bit about God's glory is all about, but at least the sickness is not fatal. At least the cancer is not terminal. It may be a long journey, but at least recovery is in the cards. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, but oddly, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed on where he was for two more days. For two days, Jesus left them on red. This is a phrase my uh, 17-year-old niece taught me. Uh, when you leave someone on red is when you, uh, you get a text from them and it shows up red on their little notification. You know that word red that shows up? It shows up red and you never respond. She'll say, you left me on red, <laughs> meaning I read her text message but never responded. Jesus left Mary and Martha on red. They had texted him to come ASAP. Jesus read the text. They saw that he read the text. They even saw the dancing dots as if Jesus was about to say something, but no message ever came for two days. And then, what do you know? After the two days, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea to see Lazarus. They said, Rabbi, you can't do that. The Jews are out to kill you, and you're going back? Implied in their frightened response is the knowledge that if Jesus goes back, they're going with him. And if the Jews in Judea are out to kill Jesus, they probably are not planning a birthday party for his students. Rabbi, you can't go back. You can't go back to Judea where the sick Lazarus resides. The Jews are out to kill you, and you're going back. Jesus replies, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in daylight doesn't stumble because there's plenty of light from the sun. Walking at night, he very well might stumble because he can't see where he's going. Uh, Okay, I guess that's true, but I think you got a little sidetracked again, Jesus. We were talking about how you simply can't go back to Judea. They'll kill you, and maybe us too. Still... Jesus said these things and then announced, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to wake him. The disciples said, Master, if he's gone to sleep, he'll get a good rest and wake up feeling fine. Jesus was talking about death, while his disciples thought he was talking about taking a nap. Whoops. (laughs) I'm starting to think Jesus' disciples aren't the best and brightest. Seems more like he picked them from the the bottom of the barrel. Do you know what I mean? What was Jesus thinking on that sleepless night of prayer when he selected this ragtag group of nobodies? He stayed up all night, remember, praying to his Father to discern his will, and these are the 12 guys he ended up with. Seriously? Well, at least that gives us some hope that maybe we too can be his disciples. And then, seeing that his disciples weren't getting it, Jesus became explicit. Lazarus died. And I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there. You're about to be given new grounds for believing. Now let's go to him. And that's when Thomas, the one called the twin, said to his companions, Come along, we might as well die with him. 
Now we're in verse 17 of John chapter 11. Here, the word of the Lord. When Jesus finally got there, he found Lazarus already four days dead. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only a couple of miles away, and many of the Jews were visiting Martha and Mary, sympathizing with them over their brother. Martha heard Jesus was coming and went out to meet him. Mary remained in the house. Martha said, Master, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. Jesus said, your brother will be raised up. Martha replied, I know that he will be raised up in the resurrection at the end of time. You don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me will not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? Yes, Master. All along, I have believed that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. After saying this, she went to her sister Mary and whispered in her ear, The teacher is here, and he's asking for you. The moment she heard that, she jumped up and ran out to meet him. Jesus had not yet entered the town, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When her sympathizing Jewish friends saw Mary run off, they followed her, thinking she was on her way to the tomb to weep there. And Mary came to where Jesus was waiting and fell at his feet, saying, Master, if only you would have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. He said, where did you put him? Master, come and see, they said. Now Jesus wept. The Jews said, look how deeply he loved him. Others among them said, well, if he loved him so much, why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? After all, he opened the eyes of a blind man. Then Jesus, the anger again welling up within him, arrived at the tomb it was a simple cave in the hillside with a, a slab of stone laid against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. The sister of the dead man, Martha, said, Master, by, by this time there's a stench. He's been dead four days. Jesus looked her in the eye. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Then to the others, go ahead, take away the stone. They removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and prayed, Father, I'm grateful that you have listened to me. I know you always do listen, but on account of this crowd standing here, I've spoken so that they might believe that you sent me. Then he shouted, Lazarus, come out. And he came out, a cadaver wrapped from head to toe with a cloth over his face. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him loose. This is the word of the Lord.
This story is from the Gospel of John, chapter 11. It's been a favorite of preachers ever since it happened. The way the God-inspired James frames the story is full of drama and emotion and excitement. The ending certainly lives up to the drama when Jesus literally and publicly raises a dead man to life. It's about as good as it gets. This, of course, sets us up for the ultimate miracle, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. And it's this resurrection, this act of God, that reveals to us our own future after we die. There is life after life. Our bodies will become like Jesus' renewed body. Yes, our resurrection status begins the moment we trust Jesus and continues forever, even in a new and improved way in the new heavens and the new earth, where Christ will reign eternally as king. That's the grand theological perspective of our scripture. And it's one we're going to explore in detail later in the season of Easter, when we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But reading this text in the season of Lent, I want to come at it at a different angle. The season of Lent, as some of you know, is traditionally a season of lament and repentance. It's a season of returning to the Lord with all our heart. So on this fifth Sunday of Lent, here's where I'd like to take us as we meander our way through the text. I'd like to take us through three different ways we meet with Jesus, which are presented in John 11. Scholar Dale Bruner notes that this chapter can be seen as a series of meetings with Jesus. So as we look at these three meetings, I think we'll be struck by the way our own experience with Jesus is contained within them. So let's get into it. The first way we meet with Jesus is through the trail of our own tears through the trail of our own tears. We meet Jesus with cries for help. At least that's the experience of the sisters in our story. They meet Jesus with cries for help. We read of this meeting from the very beginning of chapter 11. The story starts off in a very serious manner in verse 1. A man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany. And after some context, we hear that the two sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Master, the one you love so very much is sick. That is their cry for help. And it's the first way they meet Jesus. Now you might notice that they don't specifically ask Jesus to do anything, do they? That's because they don't have to. Their statement implies a request. Their statement, Master, the one you love so very much is sick carries with it the implied request, so please come and help us ASAP. Now, we do this kind of thing with our own words still today, don't we? All of us know that there are certain statements that are actually more of a request. You know what I mean? There are certain statements that imply a desired response from the recipient. For instance, honey, the trash goes out tomorrow. It's a statement. But it implies a request, doesn't it? Go take out the trash. (laughs) How about another one? Here's a statement. The dishes are dirty. It implies what? (laughs) Go do the dishes. One more. The text message, the kids are screaming and out of control, carries with it 
the request, please come home and help ASAP. (laughs) That's the kind of statement Mary and Martha make when they reach out to Jesus. When they say, Mary, the one you love so very much is sick, it implies the request, please come and help us now. They know of Jesus' reputation as the miracle doctor. They know of Jesus' love for them and for Lazarus. So they pray for him to do what he does for those he loves. And Jesus hears them as he hears us when we cry. In this very act of communication, there is communion with Jesus. Have any of you ever met Jesus with cries for help? Sometimes we don't know what exactly we should ask Jesus, especially in times of crisis. Isn't that true? And that's okay. This biblical story underscores the okayness of not knowing what to pray for. It is enough, as scholar Dale Bruner says, it is enough simply to share our deepest problem with Jesus. In this sense, he writes, we have before us a model prayer in our personal crises. Lord, look, your dear friend is very sick. So that's the first way we meet Jesus in our lives. We meet him through our personal cries for help. We meet him in the crucible of crisis after crisis. We meet him with our raw human emotion and our inability to find the right words, but even still, just by calling on his name and presenting our deepest problems, we meet him. And Jesus meets us, too. For he himself said, When two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And he said, cast your cares on the Lord, for I care for you. Well, that was my experience a couple hours after getting the call from my sister that our brother was dead. We'll never forget the horror in her voice, a horror that quickly channeled into my own heart. Like Mary and Martha, Kristen and Brandon were horrified by the fate of their brother. In that moment, I thought of this text. I thought of John 11, and I read it aloud. But truth be told, I read it aloud not so much for comfort, but I read it aloud as a kind of protest against God. Master, the one you love so very much is sick. My brother Justin is sick. In fact, the doctors have declared him brain dead. If only you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I know you know what this is like, most of you. You too have sat there before God, wondering what God was up to when he let this happen, whatever this is for you. Wondering what had kept God so busy that he wasn't able to help and save the day. Perhaps like me, you've also wondered, with more than a little guilt, what kept you so busy that you weren't available to help so much. That place, my friends, is the first place we meet Jesus. We meet him in our cries for help. We meet him in our trail of tears, and he meets us there, too. Often, it's not in the ways we had hoped. 
And it's certainly not according to our timetable, as the sisters in our scripture can attest. But Jesus does meet us when we cry to him for help. As surely as the sun rises in the morning, Jesus meets us when we cry to him. Number two, we also meet Jesus in our confusion and hesitation. Just like the disciples in our story, and just like Mary, we also meet Jesus with confusion and with hesitation. First, the confusion. I hope you picked up on just how confused these disciples were in our story. When Jesus got the message about Lazarus and his sickness, presumably the disciples were there with him. They heard Jesus' phone ding, so to speak. They saw the group message between Mary, Martha, and Jesus, and they heard him say aloud, This sickness is not fatal. It will become an occasion for God's glory by glorifying God's Son. But then they must have been honestly confused when Jesus didn't immediately respond. They must have been honestly confused by Jesus' inaction. When Jesus stayed put with the disciples where they were for two more days, it was uncharacteristic of Jesus, so they must have been confused. They knew Jesus to be a man who was never afraid of a fight with the devil, a man who never shied away from the war against disease and death. They knew Jesus to be the great physician, the miracle doctor, but Jesus stayed put and did nothing after hearing the bad news about Lazarus. And I presume the disciples were honestly confused by this. It'd be like us telling our doctor about something that was seriously wrong with us, knowing it was within his power to fix it, but then he simply never calls us back. That was Mary and Martha's initial experience with Jesus after they cried to him for help. And it's what first caused confusion in the disciples. Later, they're confused about why he now wants to go two days later, where there are people there that will kill him. But first, I think they were confused by the fact that he stayed put for two days. And if we're honest, I think that's also what causes us confusion about Jesus. There are times, aren't there, when we cry for help, whether for ourselves or for someone we love, and Jesus doesn't appear to budge. There are times when we present our problems honestly, and we don't hear anything back from Jesus for a couple of days, or much longer. What's confusing about this is that it, it rubs against what we know to be true of Jesus. We know Jesus to be the God of power and the God of love. We know his reputation of being the great physician, the miracle doctor, the wonder worker. So why are, are our prayers going unanswered? This morning... I want to suggest something counterintuitive. I want to suggest that it's possible to meet Jesus in this place of why. Not on the other side of it, but in this very place of uncertainty. It's possible to meet Jesus in the midst of our honest confusion. It's possible to meet Jesus despite life's uncertainties. And in meeting Jesus there, he won't always give us the answers. He won't always clear up the confusion. He won't always quench our thirst for certainty. 
but he will be there with us. As surely as he was on the cross for us, crying out, my God, my God, why? Connected to our honest confusion is our hesitation toward Jesus. And there also is an opportunity for meeting him in a new way. Mary is the model of this approach to meeting Jesus. After hearing word that Jesus finally has come to town four days late, she is hesitant to meet him. Listen again to verse 17, which reads, When Jesus finally got there, he found Lazarus already four days dead. Skipping to verse 20, Martha heard Jesus was coming and went out to meet him. Mary remained in the house. Have you ever remained in the house? Have you ever been reluctant to go out in public because of your pain? Have you ever been hesitant to reach out to Jesus because of your prior experience of disappointment with Jesus? Mary has. This is the same Mary who, as John tells us earlier in the story, washed Jesus' feet with her hair. This was a sign of her humble faith and fierce loyalty to Jesus. And yet she, too, knows what it's like to experience unanswered prayer. She also knows that when this happens, the knee-jerk reaction of the soul is to withdraw, to retreat into the privacy of one's own mind, to refuse to reach out to Jesus again for fear of being disappointed again. Martha heard Jesus was coming and went out to meet him. Mary remained in the house. Have you ever remained in the house? If so, I'm here to say that's okay. In fact, that's normal. That's a normal part of following Jesus. Not many people will tell you this, but here it goes. Jesus will disappoint you. (laughs) Just like he disappointed the first disciples. Just like he disappointed Mary and Martha. He will disappoint you too. He will not answer every one of your prayers in the way that you had hoped a Savior would. And this will put you in a place of honest confusion and give rise to hesitation in your heart toward Jesus. More than a few people have left the church on account of such an experience. The question then is how will you respond? How will you respond when God disappoints you? How will you respond when you're confused and hesitant? to approach him once more. This leads to our third and final way of meeting Jesus. First, we meet Jesus with cries for help. Lord, the one you love so very much is sick. Second, we meet Jesus with confusion, then experience hesitation. Mary remained at home. And third, we meet Jesus with faith, and then experience transformation. Let's look at the hesitant Mary's faith here. She has faith that can move mountains, 
at the beginning of our story, wiping Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears. But then when she experiences the bitter disappointment, she's hesitant. She withdraws into the loneliness of her own soul after being bitterly disappointed by Jesus. She remains in her house, even when Jesus is literally in the neighborhood. But then what happens? How does she respond? Does she, does she remain in this purgatory of pain indefinitely? Does she become addicted to her own self-pity, wallowing and wailing, woe is me, woe is me? No. She feels her pain. She experiences her disappointment, acknowledging it for what it is. She does all these things, but then, listen to this, she also keeps her heart cracked open to God. She keeps her heart cracked open to God, and she's met by God's grace. That's why the scriptures say, Blessed are the brokenhearted, for they will be met by God. Mary keeps her heart cracked open to God and experiences his grace. She keeps her ears open to a perspective higher than her own, open to a perspective different from her own. And that perspective comes to her when her sister whispers in her ear, the teacher is here and he's looking for you. Oh, how I pray you and I would keep our hearts cracked open to God when we're hesitant to trust him. How I pray you and I would keep our ears open when we're disappointed with God and with the thing, the way the things turned out. Let us keep them open long enough, open to a perspective other than our own, and you too will hear the message, the teacher is here. And he's asking for you. Jesus is here. And he's asking for you. What happens next in our story is a mini miracle in itself. By all appearances, Mary's confused and hesitant faith is not going to lead any place good. And yet, <laughs> quite spontaneously, Mary rises to her feet and makes her way to Jesus after being filled in the depths of her heart by the grace of Jesus. She rises to her feet and makes her way. Now the Greek text here, the New Testament's written in Greek originally. The Greek here makes this mini-miracle even more transparent. For it literally reads, Now when Mary heard this, heard this invitation to meet with Jesus, she was instantly raised. She was instantly agerthe in the Greek. You know what that word is? It's the same word used for resurrection. <laughs> the same word used for Jesus' own resurrection from the dead. The point is that Mary was resurrected. Her depressed spirit resurrected at the grace of Jesus' invitation to meet with him. Some of us sitting here today need this kind of resurrection right now. 
We're in a sermon series called I Am. Today's Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's not just talking about something far off in the future. For some of us sitting here today, the resurrection of Mary's depressed and despairing spirit is exactly the kind of resurrection we need this morning. And I'm here to say there's good news because this is exactly the kind of resurrection Jesus intends for you and for you and for you and for you. Jesus invites us to meet with him this morning. Mary, the teacher, is here, and he's asking for you. The invitation from Jesus to meet with him comes to you through the sacred meal he instituted long ago. Don't let the history of the origins of this meal mistake you into thinking that this sacrament of communion is, is just some kind of commemoration, just some kind of memory exercise where we remember what Jesus did. No, this is lifetime communion with Jesus. This is where Jesus promises to reliably meet with us in the ordinariness of our bruised and broken lives. This is where Jesus does for us what he did for Mary. Mary has made her cry for help. So have we. Mary had experienced the spiritual confusion and hesitation toward Jesus when her prayers go unanswered. So have we. But alas, Mary then hears the master calling her by name. Mary, the teacher, is here, and he's asking for you. Brothers and sisters, may we hear this voice today. Psalm 95 says, Oh, that today you would hear his voice. And when you hear it, may you meet Jesus with the faith of Mary after having met him with the trail of tears. May you meet Jesus with the faith of Mary after having met him with honest confusion and hesitation. May you meet with Jesus, meet Jesus with the faith of Mary, who fell at Jesus' feet in response to his invitation. People of God, may we meet Jesus today at this meal, at his invitation. For I promise you, one day our eyes will see that which our hearts believe. We will see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and we will know the truth of his claim. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even though they die. Whoever, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. We are right to praise you, faithful God. You answer sin with grace. You guide our wayward steps toward home. You are mending for the broken, safety for the poor, belonging for the outcast, strength for the weak, and pardon for the sinner. You reveal your kindness in every sorrow. 
your mercy even in death. All your creatures see your works. They sing your steadfast love. And we too, gathered here today, declare your wonder and grace. As with angels and saints, we sing together. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Now, O God, we remember Jesus. He fasted and prayed. He was tempted and tried. He relied on you, Father, for everything. He was obedient to you and scorned by the powers of this world. He confounded the haughty and gave hope to the humble. He was betrayed and deserted. He died between thieves and was buried in a borrowed grave. Then you, Father, gave him new life. He lives even now, our healer and friend. He loved us well. He loves us to the end, and he loves us still. Holy Spirit, come. Make all things new. Bless this bread which you have given. May it be to us the bread of life. Bless also this cup, the fruit of the vine. Let it be for us the cup of salvation. Bless us also who eat and drink, that, this, and that in this sharing we may know the living Christ who is with us now and to the end of the age. Nourish us by these gifts to be willing servants of you, of you, of your world, until the new age comes and every creature beholds it. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come soon. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? On that very night, he sat down at a meal with his disciples on Passover. He took bread and he broke it. He said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after they had supper, he poured the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, the new promise in my blood. Drink this for the forgiveness of sins and remember me. I invite the elders forward at this time. We will partake of communion today by the passing of the trays. You are invited. First, we will pass the trays of bread. You are invited to take one and hold on to it. We will partake together, and then we will pass the cup. If you wish, we also have um, communion packets that are, are sealed for you. Um, we would just say to take one of these and then take the bread when you wish, and then the cup when we, when we do that. The body of Christ.
He became sin who knew no sin that we might become His righteousness. He humbled Himself and carried the cross. Love so amazing. Love so Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for Messiah, Lord of all, His body the bread, His blood the wine, broken and poured out all for love, the whole Jesus Messiah 
Jesus invites you to meet with him in this bread, his body broken for you. Eat and believe. Friends, Jesus meets us in this juice, the blood of Christ, shed for our sins. Drink and believe the good news. Having met with Jesus, let us now 
offer our prayers for ourselves, for those we love, and for the world. I invite you in this prayer to respond when I say, Lord, in your mercy, to respond with, hear our prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. And you call us by name to meet with you. By your grace, you have met us in word and sacrament. So now we extend that grace to the world around us in prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the many who do not have enough. Enough food to eat or shelter to keep warm. Enough employment or money to pay the bills. Enough medicine or medical care. Enough emotional resources to deal with the struggle of life in a broken world. We don't know specifically what to ask for or the right words to say. So like Mary and Martha, we simply name before you the world's need and the need of those we love and our own need too, trusting you know best how to handle it. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We also pray for those who have more than enough, but who still struggle to find meaning and purpose in life who indulge in dangerous or self-serving activities to dull their pain or loneliness. We bring their need before you too, Jesus. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, your grace reaches out to all of us. You call us to live as citizens of heaven, working together with one heart and mind. So would you strengthen us to live in a manner worthy of the good news we have received offering our lives in service of your kingdom, where the last are first and the first are last, and there is grace enough for all. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life. Amen. Amen. Continue our worship with our tithes and offerings. This, too, is a way we meet with Jesus inviting him in to the personal part of our financial lives and letting him have say. So we pray that this time is worship for us. If you're a guest among us, please do not feel obliged to give. This is worship for those who call Heartland home.
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly Father God, you are the maker of heaven and earth. Accept the tithes and offerings we prepare, represent to you today. May these bring pleasure in your presence. May our sincere desire to be faithful stewards bring joy to your heart. Please help us to be diligent savers and wise spenders. We ask that you give us the wisdom to apply our hearts unto understanding, especially in the area of our finances. Enable us to apply biblical principles of stewardship so that we can continue blessing others and supporting your ministries. Our faithful God, bless this time of giving. Amen. Amen. Join us in singing our closing song, Living Hope. Great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness,
praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your very body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion Declared the grave has no claim on me. Then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your very body began to breathe. Out of the silence, the roaring lion declared the grave no claim on me. Jesus, yours is the victory. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh God, you are my living As we were singing that song, I caught a glimpse. I caught a glimpse of the dead in Christ rising up. Rising up to new life. To a grand family reunion that we all get to experience with our loved ones who have gone before us. This is the truth about our lives, because Jesus says and is the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in him will never die, and those who die believing in him will live again. Do you believe this? Let us go now with this blessing from God. The Lord Jesus bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn toward you and give you his everlasting peace. Let us go now to love and serve our most gracious Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.